Hey everyone, welcome to Emmanuel Fellowship's podcast. This is Pastor Trent, the founding pastor of Emmanuel Fellowship, a church in South Minneapolis that exists to serve our city and to live for God's glory. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. We pray that this message encourages you to follow Jesus and to see his presence and power everywhere in your life. How often do you think of heaven? How often do you think of heaven? I mean, this is church, right? So this is the Bible that we're reading, you know? And of course, one of the themes throughout history and in the scriptures is heaven, right? But I don't know about you, I could probably get into a day-by-day role where I'm not, I'm not so much thinking of the clouds, you know? I'm not so much thinking of the life to come very often. Anybody else feel the same way? Well, perhaps part of the problem is that when we think of heaven, we more often think of things like this. Thanks, Nathan. I'm not the only one. I mean, I can't let you guys have all the fun while I'm out last week showing pictures and memes and stuff. You know, it's not memes are not normally my style, but I can play. All right. Maybe if you don't think of Monty Python, you might think of something like this. Anybody? Wait for it. Wait for it. No music fans out there. Uh-huh, there we go. Or perhaps you think of this, the Field of Dreams. There's some Iowa fans in here that are like, actually, Iowa is the closest that you get to heaven. You know, like we've been there. We know the fields. Um, or perhaps this is my personal favorite. Ready? <laughs> oh, Kobe. Kobe making buckets on the halos. So listen, the hope of heaven or the hope laid up for you in heaven, verse 5 of Colossians, has been messing with me. I've been turning it over in my mind for weeks now, trying to ask the question, why is it that we do not think more of heaven? We have the tendency to be very earthly minded. I mean, hope hope is natural for us, right? I mean, like you hope for a promotion at work, and so you, you give yourself fully to that project that you're currently working on. You, you hope for a relationship, and so you download the, the dating app that's designed to be deleted again. But you know what? Like that app you deleted it not because it actually gave you what you were finding and looking to find, but it, you just got fed up with it the last time. You know, so we hope for a relationship and do some things. You might hope for a bit of peace amidst all the young kids running around in your household. And so you, you so hope for peace that you, you, you clean all of the dishes and wipe everything off and arrange all of the toys and finally it's all set only by lunchtime to be chaos again. We hope for things. It's just natural for us to hope. But what does it mean? Like, why, why would we hope for something laid up for us in heaven? Like, what, what, what is what's laid up for Christians there matter for what's happening with us here? Like, how is an eternal home and a hope of something make any difference for my present hardships? 
Maybe you've gotten to that point where it's the pandemic or it's work or it's finances or it's health. Whatever it is, life circumstances have made you begin to wonder, what good is the hope of heaven now? Well, believe it or not, the imprisoned apostle has written a thank you note to tell us why. And that's what we're going to study today. We're going to study the thank you note, the prayer of this great apostle and his written work to the church at Colossae. And, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to use a particular Bible study method that we're piloting in our gospel communities. Those are our groups, our small groups that meet throughout the week in order to work out this faith in real time and in real life. And we're using this coma method all spring. It won't put you into a coma. Um, it'll actually do the opposite, but we're going to look at the context, observation, meaning, and application. And I won't do this every sermon in this series, but I want to do it today just to kind of give you some, some steps to go forward as you're talking in community and a bit of basics about how do we study the scriptures and arrive at something that connects deeply to our life and brings about transformation and grace to us. So here's the deal. That's our roadmap for today. And we're going to start by looking at the context. So let me, let me read the pick up here in verse 5 where we left off. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you've heard before, in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you. So the gospel has come to the church at Colossae. There wasn't a church there, but the gospel came to Colossae, and then a church got formed. So which has come to you, and indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you. So somehow the gospel is bearing fruit, almost like a person, like, there's personification going on here. The gospel's like got an, a personality, an activity that it's expanding, stretching, bearing fruit, even beyond the work of the, the apostles. Paul's not even been here, and the gospel's just going to work where he's not. So, as it does so among you, so it's expanding geographically, but it's also expanding in terms of the, the growth of the community. So, the gospel has expanded among you since when? Since you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Where did they hear it from? Well, just as they learned it from Epaphras, our, our beloved fellow servant, he is faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Okay, what's happening here? Let's get a map out. What's happened here is that Jesus lived did ministry, died and rose again, and then his original band of followers started to travel all over the known world and share a message that he rose from the grave. And people latched onto it, and they started to believe it and embrace it. And so here, if you look at it's Syria right there, there's Antioch. That's the church that sent Paul, and he went traveling all around those arrows, all the way around the Mediterranean, meeting people and telling them this crazy story that there was a man who was God, who lived and who died and who rose again. And what happened when he got to Ephesus, right there in the middle, which is actually in modern-day Turkey, shifted a little bit. See it? Ephesus right there. Revival broke out. 
I mean, crazy stuff started happening. Local businesses completely flipped and turned over. The town in uproar. And probably such a commotion came that some young guy named Epaphras, we'll call him Pappy. <laughs> Pappy comes to Ephesus and hears this word of grace. And he's changed. He says, I believe in Jesus. And I don't know how long he was there. Paul was in Ephesus for some matter of time, perhaps a couple of years. And Epaphras gets trained. He learns the ways of the gospel. And he gets sent. And then he's sent from Ephesus, right there in the middle, straight back towards where you see that word L, Lycia, right back to his hometown, Colossae, which is sitting right at the foothills of the Taurus mountain range, right on the edge of the Mediterranean Sea. Pretty cool place to live, I would think. But he goes back, starts ministering there and telling them about Jesus. And the key thing is they learned it from him. They learned the good news from him, which is fascinating in the original language because it means that he taught it in such a way that they started practicing it. Like that they experienced it in such a way that they started having habits about it, like acquiring some of traits of it. And, and, and what happens then is that the, the gospel spreads. In the first century, you see it sort of emerge all around the rim of the Mediterranean. That's the green. And the second century, it expands even beyond that, all the way into Spain and, German, and, and Germany up there. The gospel is bearing fruit and growing in the first and second century. And church, it still is today. The gospel is bearing fruit and growing today. And that is what the context of this letter is. That, that Epaphras, Pappy, started a church in Colossae, and then went back to Ephesus to tell Paul all that had happened. Oh my gosh, I went home, and they believed too. And then we started forming together and learning how to live as disciples of Jesus together. And then I've got to go back and tell Paul about it. And when he went back and told Paul about it, somehow he got mixed up and sent into prison with Paul. And so Paul and Pappy and Timothy, they're all in prison together, and they're writing letters to all these churches that they visited, and Paul hasn't even visited this one that we're reading. The gospel almost has a life of its own. As crucial as the apostle was, the gospel was central, and it was moving and growing through the people. An incredible time, sort of like our own. And so, here, here's the context. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. The gospel's gone from Ephesus to Colossae. The report has gone back, and they are thanking God constantly. That's the context. So let's keep making some observations. Let's just sort of walk through the rest of these verses and identify a few other little pieces to note, okay? An observation is just something that's being talked about, a repeated word, a theme, some interesting point that's being made. We're sort of gathering all of them together when we study the Bible and then waiting until we can sift through them to make a sense of them. We just observe what's going on. So here, observations. We thank God. Always stands out to me. They're always thanking God. And really, they're always thanking God in prayer, which means they had some kind of regular prayer 
cycle, routine. They're always praying to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That we could do a whole other sermon on just why are we not more prayerful, right? But that's not our sermon for today. If I'm going to take a stab on that, I think we're not so prayerful because we don't quite feel responsible, right? And as soon as you start to feel responsible, then you start to get prayerful. But you start to go, hey, I feel a burden for those people. I feel a burden for that person. And I better be in prayer about it before the Lord. I want God to work in their life. And if you're not so prayerful, perhaps it's because you don't feel responsible. I'm responsible for that somehow. Um, but, but I think that's one of the reasons why we fail to pray regularly is because there's not a person, there's not a place, there's not something that we feel tied to. And as soon as a pappy comes back to Ephesus and talks to his father in the faith, all of a sudden, not only is pappy responsible and burdened for his people, but now Paul feels a sense of spiritual responsibility for these people such that the ministry would continue. So not only do they thank God always, there's one thing, but they um, pray to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at this. These aren't passing words, right? The, the, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is it's an anchor for reality to them. It's, it places both Paul and Timothy within God's story. This is the God to whom they're praying. They're praying to God the Father, who has sent the Son. This is key because the Trinity is at work. And they're thanking God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You go, okay, where's Spirit here? Just wait till the end of the, the, the paragraph, right? Because Epaphras has made known the church's love in the Spirit. Meaning the Spirit is bringing about the love that characterizes this church. And the Father has been working because he sent the Son. They're praying thanks to the Father and the Lord Jesus is moving forward his message all around. It's this beautiful picture of the whole of the triune God at work in Colossae. And not just in one little town, but broadly. And that's the truth for us today, folks, that, that God is at work. That God is at work in the world still, bearing fruit and extending the message of truth all around this globe. And as Pappy mattered, you so matter to God and to his purposes in this world. You matter. You're, you're the means by which God's gospel is really bearing fruit and going to grow here in our city and far beyond. So they're praying to the triune God. And then there's one other little piece here that I can't, I can't pass up. Of this you've heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you and is indeed, and the whole world is bearing fruit and growing because you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Do you see the repetition? There's something that Paul wants to make clear about the message of Jesus. It's true. Now, recently, my wife and I were looking into different kinds of playgroups and activities for our kids, and um, we found this one as a kind of a Christian group of families, and um, as we sort of chatted back and forth and trying to figure out, okay, what's this group like, you know, it became clear that, that 
that Christian was the umbrella, but this group was really about this thing. And unless you were to say yes to this thing, you would not find a place in our thing. It's a Christian group. To the point where at the end of sort of the dialogue, it was said, hey, I understand people disagree, but this is my truth, and this is our truth. And if it's not your truth, you go find it somewhere else. And I thought about, wow, that's exactly the way our world works. I have my truth. You have your truth. And truth as a whole is up for a debate, or at least up to be concentrated in like-minded groups. But what he's saying here is that the gospel message is truth. There's no spin. There's no angle on this. What the gospel is, is the true message of Jesus. That, that there was a man who lived in Israel and Galilee and did ministry. True. That he did die on a Roman cross and that he rose again. True. That the message that was fruit-bearing and life-giving spread all over the Mediterranean and far beyond in the first and second century. True. That it's still growing as Christianity is the fastest growing religion in the world, the largest. It's incredible. The gospel is bearing fruit and growing. True. There's a message of truth here. So what do we know? We've made some observations, right? Paul is talking about constant prayer. He's talking about um, the triune God working in the world. He's talking about um, the gospel with a sort of personality, working and moving on its own. And then even that there is a message of truth that has been shared. If that's all that's being talked about, what's actually being said? Like, if, if these are all sort of pieces to the puzzle... What's being communicated, said? What's the meaning of all of these things as we bring them together? What does this passage mean for us? And I would say, not in every passage, but in this one, the meat is in the middle. The meaning is in the report that Epaphras gives to, to Paul and Timothy. And what's the report? Like, if you just sort of sum it up, what, what, what's happening? So they heard... In the report of what? Of your faith in Christ Jesus. Of the love that you have for all of the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. The faith in Christ Jesus. The love for all the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Paul, Timothy, and Epaphras and their team are literally always thanking God. They love to get together and pray and thank the Lord. Why? Because the content, the message of the gospel has been so planted into Colossae that it's taken up and borne fruit of a culture, a family marked by the gospel, such that it's starting to look like Jesus there. Like the, those three virtues, faith, hope, and love, those are commonplace in the New Testament. All over, they're characteristic in a few of these letters, and they appear in sort of a series, but there's something unique about the way that they appear here. Did you catch it? There's a reason grounding the first two in the third. There is faith in Colossae, and there is love in Colossae. Why? Because there's hope 
in Colossae. The hope laid up for them in heaven has grounded and grown the faith in Jesus and the love for all of God's people. And here's why the hope of heaven matters now. It matters because the hope of heaven there is what grows faith and love here. And there's something about the place that they knew and wanted to go. They wanted to be there with the Lord that was then directing their habits and actions and their behavior here. What you hope for matters. If you hope for a promotion there, what do you do here? You start working hard and doing the best quality work that you can. Like if you hope for a relationship there down the road, you start getting on that app again, or you start asking anybody and everybody, hey, do you know somebody? You know, like, or if you've got a hope of heaven, or if you've got a hope of peace at the home there, then you organize all of the kids' toys here. You get me? What what you're aiming at, it matters for the direction of your life now. And so what are we gonna do with this phrase, the hope laid up for us in heaven? Well, it does mean that there's no such thing as being heavenly-minded does no earthly good. What Paul is saying is, hey, being heavenly-minded, thinking about being with the Lord, produces all kinds of good in our present life. Let me show you the kind of good. Let's start to like work this into our lives and apply it a little bit. Let's apply this word, the hope, laid up for us in heaven. Hope occurs all over the New Testament. But the passage that I think is most helpful to the hope laid up for us in heaven is Philippians 3, where Paul says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we often hope in a circumstance, hope in a situation. We often sometimes hope in a kind of deliverance or a way of arriving or achieving. But it's clear here in the New Testament that the hope of a Christian is designed to be a person. The hope of a Christian is designed to be Jesus, the one for whom we wait. What's laid up in heaven for this church at Colossae? It's the Lord Jesus himself waiting to return and to be face to face with them. What they should long and what we should long for is to be with him. Jesus is the hope that can fix what is broken in our world. Jesus is the hope that can sustain you through suffering in our world. Jesus is the hope that can temper and protect you from your pride and ambition. Jesus is the hope that can help you weather waiting. Jesus, the person of Jesus, is the hope we need to live here and now. Do you have the hope of heaven? Or are you putting your hope somewhere else? If your your hope is not in Jesus, you are missing out on the treasure of the gospel. You're missing out on the inheritance of the gospel. You're missing out on just the goodness of this message. Listen to what Henry Nouwen writes about hope. It's for all times, friends. Hope is not dependent on peace in the land, justice in the world, and success in business. Hope is willing to leave unanswered questions unanswered and unknown futures unknown. 
Hope makes you see that God's guiding hand, not only in the gentle and pleasant moments, but also in the shadows of disappointment and darkness. The moments when we say, what good is hope of heaven now? Are the very moments when we need the hope of heaven. The hope of heaven there grows faith and love here. So let's look at those two phrases, faith and love. Faith in Christ Jesus. Faith in Christ Jesus. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. The hope of heaven does two things in these phrases. Let me put a, put a different language on them for you. The hope of heaven gives you place in Christ Jesus. And the hope of heaven gives you power, love for all the saints. Let's talk about that for a sec. Okay, the hope of heaven gives you place. Who are these people? Well, the opening line of the, of the letter says, they are those who are in Christ at Colossae. That's double geography. Meaning they are located in Christ where they find their sense of place, where they reside, the way in which they navigate the geographical landscape of their lives is in Christ. People are located there if they're a Christian. Listen to what, what New Testament scholars Klein Snodgrass says. I haven't quoted him in a while. I call him Snotty. Professor Snotty says this. Professor Snotty says, the most important use of Christ in Christ has a local sense. Christ is the place where believers reside, the source in which they find God's salvation and blessings, and the framework in which they live and work, emplaced in Jesus. Because believers reside in him, they can enjoy these blessings. Christians must live like people who know their geography. Which is why when you find yourself in Christ, the Bible never tells you to go anywhere else, right? It says in chapter 2, like, as you receive Christ and you are in him, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to walk in him, right? Rooted and built up and established in him. You don't go anywhere else. Jesus becomes the wayfinding, the signposting, the map guiding, geography seeing locator for you. Everything is in relation to him. He is your way. But here's the problem. I think the last season of time has shown that many Christians here and elsewhere have found a different place. You see, rather than being in Christ, I know that some Christians are located in comfort. And the way in which you navigate real life is related to what's comfortable. The first lens through which you see, the first question that you ask, the way that you make decisions is, is this comfortable for me or not? Is this going to cost me something or not? Is this going to add stress or not? Everything in your life is navigated through the lens of what brings comfort and support. You locate yourself there. But listen, don't locate yourself based on comfort. 
Because you have a hope in heaven, and the hope of heaven is there. Why? Because Jesus gave up all comfort when he went to the cross so that he might die a very uncomfortable death so that he could secure your eternal peace and comfort. Your, your hope is not what's comfortable now. He is your hope so that you can weather anything that's uncomfortable now. Others of us don't find ourselves in comfort, but rather than find ourselves in Christ, we find ourselves in conspiracy. A conspiracy is an alternate story for reality. And according to Adam Enders, the professor at the University of Louisville, at least 30% of our country gives some credence to a form of conspiracy explaining our current reality. Listen to what he says. He says, the pandemic is ripe ground for conspiracy theories, precisely because a lot of the psychological elements that give rise to conspiracy theories are heightened. Powerlessness, anxiety, uncertainty. And he writes that across the political spectrum, there is a givenness within our country and even among Christians to say, this is the real explanation for what's happening. Now listen to me. I'm not pushing any side of any political point whatsoever, but I'm merely helping you see that it is a reality that you will be tempted to find some other story than the gospel story to locate yourself in. And if you do that, you will be robbed of the hope of heaven. Because where you should find your hope in him has now been replaced by another story to help navigate our reality. Don't, don't buy into a tantalizing truth that explains everything that everyone else is missing when what you have here, according to Colossians, is the message of truth revealed, unpacking all of history such that you might navigate it with hope. You have the message of truth here in Jesus. Don't put your hope in that. Whatever that is, put your hope in him. Others of us don't locate ourselves in Christ because we have been located in complaint. Everything in our life is oriented, related to disappointment. I've been a lot of disappointment lately. But I know, I know too well, what happens when complaint starts to rise and go on repeat in your mind and in your heart is that it totally pulls you away from faith in Christ Jesus and love for his people. And if you operate too long in complaint, what you will be doing is saying that I have a hope that is consistently unmet and I'm going to let that hope define my reality and my location rather than Christ and my hope of heaven define my navigation system. Right? You, you need to not run complaint over and over but take the cards up of the Apostle Paul, finding opportunities to be thankful. I mean, they're in prison and writing gratitude notes, which is hard for us. It's a lot to complain about. But this word is inviting us to be thankful because in Christ, we have so much to be thankful for. 
All spiritual blessings are ours. The present help of our Savior and Redeemer is here now for us. We must locate ourselves in Him. There may be tears being shed, but what you have in the hope of heaven is one who is not unable to sympathize because He is the one who shed tears and then shed blood so that He could die and rise and then one day return to wipe all tears from our eyes. He gets it. Don't cozy up to complaint, but rather stay close to Christ. He is your hope. Man, I could preach about that for a long time, but I won't. I'll close with this. The love for all the saints is the promise of power. Because according to Epaphras, their love was in the Spirit. And I'm not going to lie, in order to love well, especially according to love all, we need some Holy Ghost power. We need a little bit of help to love those who are a little bit different than us. We need a little bit of help to be gracious with those who think differently than us. We need a little bit of help to those who make different choices than us. But what was supposed to mark God's people? We would be known by our love for one another. That's what Jesus wanted. And our church has, man, we have prided ourselves in this, being a community of hospitality. Because Jesus opened his life to us, we would be willing to open our lives to others. And so for us, we've got to think again and go, where do I need the power of Jesus to, to have me open my calendar? to have me open my mind, to have me open my, my relational capacity, to have me open a cup of coffee so that I could love all the saints well. Because there's power in Jesus for that. And the Holy Spirit's at work for that. Why? Because this message, this content was designed to produce a kind of culture, a family that looked like Jesus. And that's what's starting to take shape in Colossae. Hey, church, my heart is full because I believe it's starting to take shape for us. I don't see this as not us. I see this reflected in us. Hope, faith, love. Let's pray that the Lord will increase those things. Amen? Father, we commit our lives and our way to you. We want to find ourselves located in you. And we want to walk in you in such a way that we are filled with faith and that we are overflowing with love. May we be a church that loves well and a church that's constantly praying prayers of gratitude for the fruitfulness of the gospel in our own lives and community and beyond them. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.